The three things I want to ask myself whenever I'm making a decision about whether to try and change a behaviour that my dog has or work with them to feel more comfortable about it, I want to ask, is it a welfare issue for either me, for my dog, for our relationship together? Can I easily and safely manage it without needing to change them? And what's the clustering that I'm looking at here? Are there a series of behaviours that fall under one cluster? And if so, can I focus on that as an overarching concept rather than going into the nitty gritty? Parenting your much loved dog is a relationship like no other. Our dogs are individuals and there is no one size fits all when it comes to training. Hi, I'm Dr Holly Tett, professional dog trainer and clinical psychologist, and each week on Letters from Your Dog, we'll look at understanding specific dog training questions and struggles from your dog's point of view. Thanks for being here. Let's get to the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Letters from Your Dog podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart and something that really I think is so important to discuss and to think about because it can make a huge impact and difference, not just in our dog's lives, but also in ours. So anything we can do to improve both of our lives is always going to be a winner, I think. So today, we're going to be talking about what is the balance between trying to change my dog's behavior versus adapting to the dog that I have so rather than thinking oh my gosh I've got all of this stuff I want to work on or need to work on with my dog looking at it from a slightly different perspective and thinking are there aspects of my dog's personality or their behavior that actually I can adapt my environment or my life to fit rather than thinking I have to change them so The reason that this is so important to me is that as a dog trainer, often people come to me when they are desperate. Now, don't get me wrong, I also work with people who've just adopted a new puppy or a rehome dog, but the vast majority of people that come for behavioural support, they are at the end of their tether. And that's just common to people, isn't it? Often we don't seek help until we're at a really bad point. And sometimes that's because we've tried to help ourselves, we've tried to do our own research and our own little bits and pieces, but maybe it's not quite working. Or sometimes it's because we're in a bit of denial and we just hope that if we ignore it, then the the situation will change or the problem will go away. And sometimes I think we just get to that point where we're like, I just can't do this anymore and I need someone to help me. So people often come to me and some of the language they might use are things like, I just need to fix this behaviour, change it, improve it. I need to find a solution for the problem and it's very kind of problem focused so it's quite rare that I'll go in and someone will start with telling me all the wonderful things about their dog it's usually that they want to go straight in and say these these are the difficulties that I'm having help me (laughs) what do I do to change it which is completely understandable um And a little something that we do in some of our um, online and face-to-face classes is that we kick off the sessions by just going around the circle and saying one thing you love about your dog. And actually, that's something that you guys can do today if you want. (laughs) You uh, You can let us know, post on Instagram and let us know what you love about your dog because that's a really nice way to start the day. So one of my dogs likes to sleep on the bed with me, for example. So when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I go, good morning, Riggsy. And I just hear this thump, thump, thump of his tail going up and down. And then I'll tell him something that I love about him. And that's just a really nice way that I like to start my day. So if you're so inclined, you can give that a go. But what I want to think about today is thinking about, well, do we have to 
always change our dog's behavior? Do we always have to see it in that problem saturated way? Or can we actually be a little bit more open to thinking about, is this something that I can either live with or shock horror, learn to actually appreciate in my dog? (laughs) Especially when it comes to some of those really kind of genetically based instinctual um, behaviors like prey drive, for example. Most people, when they hear the word prey drive or predator drive, they think, oh no, my dog's going to catch something. And don't get me wrong I don't want my dog running around killing wildlife either but when you really take a step back and look at it like their skill is incredible um this is always something that I have a bit of a an issue with when it comes to having cats that go outside I love cats but my fear is them bringing in dead mice and birds and things like that because it just makes me sad (laughs) so thinking about actually is there a little bit of me that can say yeah actually yeah you're a pretty skilled hunter I just don't really want it in my house so The first thing I want to just run by you guys is thinking about welfare. So when I've got a problem, let's say um, it is that my dog likes to chase uh, squirrels and rabbits, let's say, and they're pretty fast and there's a chance that they could well catch one. The first thing I want to think about is the welfare of both my dog and myself. Is this problem big enough that it's actually affecting either my dog or myself? So how could that affect my dog? Well, if it means that they can never go off the lead, and they can never have that freedom because I don't trust them to be able to come back to me when I call them. If they've got the scent of something, they're going to be chasing it. Is it thinking about, actually, it stresses me out so much when I see them chasing something that I scream at them and I tell them off and it damages our relationship that way. And then you always also want to think about the welfare of you. Is this something that's causing you so much stress that it's every single day it's on your mind or every time you try to go for a walk with a friend and their lovely docile dog that never chases anything you feel guilty and embarrassed and people maybe make comments or say get your dog under control or whatever it looks like for you is it something that's causing you daily weekly or monthly stress is it something that's really playing on your mind and making you say things like I just have to get this sorted out That's a pretty good indicator for me. I like to think about that first. So what's the welfare level? Is it really damaging my dog's quality of life or really damaging my quality of life or even worse, damaging the relationship and the bond that my dog and I have together? If it is, then sure, maybe that's something that I would like to work on with some support from a trainer. If not, actually, can I take a step back and think, what can I do to embrace that behavior? How can I give my dog an outlet for the desire to chase little critters and furry things? And how can I use that to my advantage? And we're going to go into that a little bit later. But welfare is our first one. The second thing I'm thinking about is how easy, A, and how safe, B, is it for me to manage this situation? So let's say I have a dog that I've got two dogs in my house and one of my dogs resource guards his food bowl. So when I feed my dogs at dinner time, that dog is only ever then guarding the bowl if the other dog comes within three meters of him. There's no guarding at any other point. There's no guarding of toys, of people, of treats. There's no guarding of the bowl when there's nothing in it. There's no guarding of the water bowl. But it is purely in that situation that my dog feels uncomfortable. Well, 
that's probably relatively easily managed. Now, I will say that it's probably unlikely that it's limited to that situation. But if for some reason it is, that's easily solved. You just don't feed them in the same place. Maybe you pick up the bowls straight away afterwards or you get rid of the bowls altogether and you use your food and training, whatever it might look like. But if it's very simple to put a baby gate between those two dogs or a door or feed them at separate times like bish bash bosh, that's easy. So if it is easy enough to manage your situation, so actually your dog's never put in that stressful situation your other dog's never put in that stressful situation and you aren't either because you get into that pattern and that routine then that might be another example of something where I'd say you know what I don't need to spend weeks or months working on this because I have the skills to be able to just manage it super super easily if however your dog in that example that guarding did start to spill out to other places so maybe every once in a while your second dog would go to get a drink of water and your first dog would snap at them or you'd give them both a chew or a toy to play with and your your guarding dog would take it off to the bed and be eyeing your other dog and having you know but showing those kinds of behaviors like hair stuff standing up on their neck and whale eye showing the whites of the eye and really looking uncomfortable when that other dog came close then I'd be thinking you know what we're going back to welfare again this is definitely not a comfortable situation for the dog that's feeling anxious to guard it's certainly not a a comfortable situation for your other dog and it's probably not for you either because hearing your dog snarl and snap that's that's worrying and often these things do escalate so it starts with a few little kind of bodily signals to say I'm not comfortable and if that second dog still comes close then you might get some air snaps and some growls and some barks and if that happens again and again and again that might escalate into a fight or a snap or something that you really don't want to start happening between two dogs living in the same house because that's an incredibly stressful situation so in that case that becomes a safety issue not just safety physically for your two dogs and potentially you if you had to separate them but also emotionally that's really affecting your dog's mental health and their mental well-being and that becomes a safety issue for me so they're two ends of the same scale really same problem but actually in one of those examples it's really easy and safe to manage that and actually I don't need to do extensive training on it I've sorted it and the other end of that scale actually in that case we do need to think about how we can help our dogs to feel more comfortable but that's the difference it's not how do I fix this my dog's so naughty how do I change them how do I modify their behavior instead it's thinking about my poor dog is suffering they're anxious they're worried how can I help them to feel more comfortable and what do I need to put in place to do so So that's the difference for me there, just that little sort of minor little nuance. (laughs) And then the third thing I'm thinking about, so welfare was the first one, ease and safety of management was the second one. The third one I'm always thinking about is clustering. So when someone comes to me and they say, oh my gosh, Holly, I don't even know where to start. My dog has got so many problems. They bark at other dogs, they bark at people, they're scared of noises, they pull on the lead, they bite the lead, they nip my hands when they get excited, they row over the top when someone comes to the house. And how, where do I even begin? I don't even know what my priority is. 
how can you cluster those behaviors so what i'll do is i'll sit down with someone we get a big bit of paper and i say tell me everything tell me every little problem let's go through a typical day in your house what are some of the things that come up every single day or every single week when you're in a certain situation we drop the whole thing down and then we start to move it into groups and i would say 99% of the time it falls within my main five groups and this is something shout out to all my canine connection members you guys know about this but the five groups that it usually falls into something to do with not being able to manage distractions so finding the environment just so stimulating either in a scary way or in an exciting way that it's just impossible to think so distractions is usually the first category I just can't manage any kind of level of distraction the second one is what we call calm confidence so actually how are you are you able to be calm and happy in new situations when things pop up that you're not expecting are you able to manage yourself and for a lot of dogs the answer to that is no so is it, is it something about that? Is it something about your level of confidence and your ability to be calm with that? The third one is focus. So is your dog able to focus on you when there's other things happening? Are they able to engage with you and to seek um, a connection with you so that they're able to look at you, for example, and say, oh, what's my next step? What do I do next? The next one is your bond. So quite similar to focus, but it extends out far further than this. So when I say how bonded are you to your dog, I don't necessarily mean, you know, do they come on your lap for a cuddle? Because absolutely that's that shows that they're bonded to you, of course. Not all dogs like to cuddle, but some do. But it's it's beyond that. So it's if you took um took your dog to a training class, let's say would they want to engage with you or actually would they rather go and play with that person over there who sounds far more exciting with the way that they're working with with their dog so have they got that desire to be with you and then the last one that really spans all of these all of these categories is what we refer to as your canine connection so your connection with your dog and that's not just about the bond but it's thinking about all kinds of things so how well do you know them how well do you know their body can you tell when their muscles are tense can you tell when they're uptight is there some are there signals and identifies that you can say oh my dog's having a wonderful time right now look how happy they are not just because they've got a smile on their face (laughs) but what what are those little tiny things that you know that just they're your best friend in the world and no one knows them quite like you do so it's thinking about that real connection piece and so often when we're thinking about the connection we're thinking about all of the things that we talk about on this podcast so the little little nuances that come in when you're working with a dog that you really want to adapt to make it individual for your dog so it's not a case that you could just go to like a 10-week training course you'd have 10 dogs they'd all learn exactly the same skills and they'd all have exactly the same results because I can guarantee (laughs) from doing years and years of training courses that that is not the case and that is because it does need to be individually tailored for your dog So they're the five areas that I think about and I want to say, okay, so when I'm looking at this big page of paper with all of these problems that this person's got with their dog, 
what's the main thing that's going on here? So do most of these problems fall under the category of poor focus? Is the dog just really struggling to focus at all in any situation? Okay, if that's the main problem, that's where, that's where we are going to put our focus. So we're not necessarily going to work on the fact that their recall is rubbish. We're not going to go straight in and work just on recall, but we're going to work on focus in general. So thinking about what category are we falling under and how can we start to help our dog there so another example if you have a dog that has uh, difficulty being left alone and they've also whenever animals come on the tv they bark at them even if it's a dolphin or a spider (laughs) whatever it might be and when people come to the house they just lose their mind and they are so stressed and wound up and pacing and barking for like 40 minutes they just can't bring themselves down well that's definitely going to fall under that calm confidence section for me. That dog is lacking the ability to be calm, probably because they're not feeling very confident. They're feeling anxious and all of those different types of behaviours, even though they're in different situations, they're still showing that that dog is lacking a little bit of confidence and the ability to be calm. Okay, great. So might not work straight on separation anxiety. No, might not work straight on people coming to the house, but I'm going to think what training games can I do to improve my dog's confidence and to help them to learn to be calm. So that's how I like to think about it. They're my top three. So when I've got this problem or this whole host of problems, do I want to change it or do I want to live with it? Okay, so what's the welfare situation for me and my dog? Is it easy and safe to manage it or not? And how can I cluster all of these difficulties and then focus in on that big umbrella overarching concept such as the ability to be calm and confident? Okay, so once you've kind of thought about that, then I kind of boil it down to four questions that I ask myself. And from there, I make a decision about where I want to move forward. So the first one kind of um, is a bit of a recap from what we've already said. So is it hurting me or my dog? And what I mean by hurting, either physically hurting or emotionally hurting. Okay, yes, it is. Tick. All right. So that's what that's a yes we've got maybe in one example. And then the second question is, can I make even a small improvement to my or my dog's life and welfare in this situation so in that example of a dog that's absolutely wildly overexcited or anxious when someone comes to the house thinking about what's one small thing I can do I might not be able to fix the whole problem overnight or even over a course of a few weeks but what's one tiny little thing I could do to help my dog in that situation and an obvious example would be I've pre-prepared a frozen kong in the freezer As the person comes into the house, I give my dog the Kong and the person leaves before my dog has a chance to finish it. Now, this obviously um, is reliant on a dog being able to eat in that situation. Not all dogs can and you would need to adapt it depending on your personal situation. But let's say you've got a dog that normally, if you give them a Kong when someone comes to the house, they annihilate it in 15 minutes and then they're back to stressing. So I'd be thinking, okay, if I know that's what happens, if my dog is able to settle with a Kong, the person can come for five minutes, quietly have a conversation with me and then leave. And what that's doing is that saying to my dog, A, you've got a job to do don't worry and stress about what's happening over here you work on your kong that's what you need to be doing and 
by the time you're finished that person's gone so there's no need to get so stressed don't worry about it so we're just helping them to re um almost adjust what that picture looks like because so often our dogs get into such a pattern that it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy so they've done that three four five ten fifty times when someone's come round they've wound themselves up so what we want to do is interrupt that pattern and say no 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 it's all right you've got your job to do eating your frozen kong over there my friends come around for five minutes they've left and then you finish your con and we go about our business and just do our day as normal so that's one little example of how you could just make a small little improvement to the problem the third thing the third question I ask myself is can I offer an outlet or a slight adaptation to the problem So the classic example of this, going way back to the beginning of this episode, thinking about predatory behaviour and chase behaviours. So often we just want to stop it. So I just don't want my dog to chase things. Okay, but wouldn't it be, thinking about welfare again, much nicer for your dog to still be able to chase things, but just not things that are breathing and living? (laughs) So can you get the most incredible tug toy with fluff and a tennis ball and a crinkly bit and a bungee rope whatever your dog likes and can you give them as many outlets as you possibly can as many opportunities to play chase with that toy can you throw that toy ahead and race your dog to it so they still get to chase a you and be the toy and you can build it up from there so that actually the chase experience becomes something that happens with you and it's fun so and they've got the option of maybe chasing after a bird that they've just seen that they know they're probably not going to catch because they've never caught one or you pull out this amazing tug toy and run away from them dragging it across the ground if you do enough work on it they're going to choose you and that's an amazing moment when that happens you just feel like yes (laughs) hallelujah um So rather than suppressing the behaviour, which is an instinctual behaviour in a lot of dogs, and it's really hard. Think about what you're wired to do. Think about your patterns and the things that you do instinctively. Maybe you're really quick to anger, or maybe you're really quick to judge, and how hard it is to turn that off, even if you're really trying. It's exactly the same for our dogs, except they're not trying to turn it off. We are. (laughs) And we all know that when you suppress emotions and when you suppress behaviours, even if your dog does stop in that moment from doing whatever it is that you have asked them to stop doing the chances are they are going to do it again when they're presented with that rabbit or that bird that's racing away from them so thinking about how you can give them an outlet for that behavior another example of this is dogs that bark at the front door so they're alerting you to the fact that someone is outside whether it's the postman or a guest or whoever um but it's excessive or it feels excessive to us so woof 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 and it maybe only stops when you've opened the door or maybe it doesn't stop at all for ages until you distract them or something okay so again rather than saying you can never bark which is a little bit unreasonable I would say in my house I've got a guarding breed she would dearly love to bark for 15 minutes but that's a bit much for me and probably for my neighbours as well so we have a three bark agreement in my house (laughs) so when someone does come to the door I get lots of deliveries and things a bit um, Amazon and things like that she's allowed to do three barks and then she goes and lies in her bed 
and that was all trained with positive reinforcement training so for example I incorporated the chase element there again so I would knock on the table knock 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 simulating the door she could do three barks and then as soon as she'd done three I would waggle a big bit of duck under her nose race her to her bed as soon as she got in it reward 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 a few repetitions of that over a couple of weeks and we she got the pattern and obviously we did loads of practice so then when it was the real thing it was a little bit harder but we got there um, and it meant that she now loves that exercise because she gets to voice her opinion she gets to say whatever it is she wants to say woof 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 and then she races to her bed because she knows she's going to be rewarded for that and I don't mind her barking three times I don't need to silence her completely but it means that I don't have the incessant barking for 15 minutes which is what she'd probably want to do if she had the opportunity (laughs) okay so that's the third question can I offer an outlet to my dog and finally the fourth the fourth question have I logged this? So if you are working on improving a behavior that your dog does or helping them to feel more comfortable so they maybe don't do something that you you don't want them to do, like barking, are you logging? Because if you don't keep a log of your progress, it's so easy to give up because we don't see the progress day on day. It's exactly the same as I look at my dog and then someone who hasn't seen him for a year will say oh my gosh like he's looking in great condition or he's got a bit grey on his muzzle hasn't he and I'm like oh yeah he has (laughs) I didn't notice because I see him every day so you want to think okay if I've decided yeah this is a welfare issue I want to work on this I want to feel better about this or I want my dog to feel better about this start logging you're going to do a little training exercise today log it how did it go how long did you do it for what was the result what do you need to change and do different next time even better film it if you can because you'll start to see all your training mechanics and where you might be accidentally giving the wrong message to your dog film it record it log it come back and look at where you were at the beginning and how far you've come in the space of a week or a month or six months it doesn't matter that's what's going to motivate you that's going to that's what's going to keep you going because the reason we get frustrated is because we will start things and then it feels like it's not really progressing very quickly and we start to doubt ourselves and we start to doubt the technique and then we kind of give up on it and then what happens is that we end up living in the situation that is a bit stressful for us or a bit stressful for our dogs or a bit stressful for that relationship between us and our dogs and that can go on for years and that's no fun for anyone so if you do run through these questions that we've spoken about in this podcast and you do decide that there's something that you want to work on with your dog really think about okay how can I log my progress and you do what works for you some people like to write some people like a spreadsheet some people like videos it doesn't matter you find the thing that works for you and then reward yourself positive reinforcement is not just for dogs it's for us as well (laughs) if you've made a, a little win you've had a little win with your dog or a massive win with your dog get yourself a treat do something fun together get yourself a chocolate bar I don't care what it is but be your own cheerleader because let's face it more often than not other people aren't going to be coming around cheering cheering you on for the work you're doing with your dog if they do fantastic but it's probably not going to be the first thing on a lot of people's minds but I know it's important to you and if it is be your own cheerleader and then you'll be able to celebrate all those wins and it'll feel really really worthwhile okay I hope that's been helpful if you've enjoyed this episode and you feel like you know someone who would enjoy it too please do feel free feel free to share it with them or you can tag us on instagram stories at pause up dogs training 
Okay, take care.